Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Before we begin, just a massive thank you to however you are listening to this. We really do appreciate your support. We record the podcast every Monday and if you do enjoy it, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined by Simon Thomas and Mark Gordas to pick over the bones of another Welsh defeat under Wayne Pivak, uh, 24-13 defeat to England at Parker Scarlet's. Gents, wasn't as bad as we feared it would be, but is that much consolation or, or, or is it still just another defeat? Well, that's that, that's uh, that's always the issue. I'm glad to know Mark's had his dinner, by the way. I wouldn't like him to come on this feeling hungry. So. <laughs> Um, it's a very tricky one, isn't it? Because there'd been such a sense of fear, foreboding and trepidation from the Welsh public. It was like going back to the kind of mid-90s or the early noughties, you know, for a home game against England. People sort of saying, oh, could be a cricket score, Wales could lose by 40 and 50. So you put that in, in that context. I mean, I went for um, Wales lose by 22 and people were saying I was being a bit optimistic, you know. So they've lost by 11. So in those contexts, I mean, it's, it's, it's better than people thought. But I guess that reflects where we are as well, doesn't it? You know, just 18 months ago, an 11 point defeat at home to England would not be seen as better than expected. So I suppose what you have to do is you have to look at, as always with these things, um, positives and negatives. I mean, the positive was that it was a very spirited, committed display. You couldn't question the effort or the determination or the application or the attitude, particularly in terms of the defensive shift and they did front up to England and, you know, took an early lead and then got back into it going into the final quarter as a one-score game. So positives there. I mean, the negatives, unfortunately, set-piece once again a major issue, both scrum and line-out. Also, the ball retention. When you have limited ball, as you do when you have a set-piece problems, you have to make the most of those scraps. For quite a bit of the time in that game, Wales didn't throw either turning it over in contact, spillages, loose passes, making it compounding the situation. And in the final quarter, when the game was in the balance, just gave a series of penalties away. England were able to go back to their strength, you know, a set piece. So it's a real mixed bag. Um, I don't know what Mark made of it, but it, it's left me a little bit puzzled exactly how to feel about it all. Yeah, I mean, I mean, people see are seeing it. Some people are seeing it as a a kind of moral victory for Wales, um, given that um, a few people are predicting forty points, fifty points. But you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, you you can't go around celebrating sort of home defeats by England, however good they are at this moment in time. You know, it's. Um, uh, look, I, I, what I would say is I, uh, I don't think that's I, – I don't think that is really where Wales are at um, uh, under Wayne Pivak. I think come the Six Nations, you're going to see the likes of Ken Owens back. You're going to see Navidi back. You're going to see uh, Moriarty back. You're going to see Tipperick back. I think that will improve matters dramatically. Um, and um, – so I think John Davis possibly, I don't know what the state of play is with him. Uh, so, you know, hopefully uh, the injection of of experience and quality that those guys would bring perhaps won't transform Welsh fortunes, but will, my guess is, undoubtedly improve things for the Six Nations. But I do agree with you, mate. Um, Wales in the set pieces have been uh, lamentable, really, this autumn. 
and uh, it is a real concern. When you look at the set piece, I think, if I'm right in saying, Wales lost four lineouts on their own throw, and I think there were five scrum offences of various nature. I mean, obviously, we'd hoped that things had been settled a little bit with the Georgia game, which was a big improvement in the scrum after the Ireland match. But once again, it's really it's now I've seen other people saying like some of the decisions are a bit dubious. You know, it's you know. Let's, look, let's be honest, a lot of it's a bit of a lottery when you look at players going face down in the ground. But I think it's fair to say that generally England were dominant in scrum. And also in set-piece generally, they were 100% on their own ball. Um, I think overall it was something like 65% uh, possession on, and, or 60% possession, 65% territory. It's a similar story, isn't it? Wales are having to play on the back foot under the cosh. And it's very difficult to sort of get any attacking fluidity or any tempo when you, you don't have a platform up front. And then when you do have the ball, you're unable to hold on to it. So uh, it's weird, isn't it? We're, we're eight or so games into the Wayne Pivak era and you've still got people saying, what exactly is the attacking game plan? What is exactly that they're trying to do? And that's really, to a large extent, a legacy of they just there's been so little consistent platform. Yeah, they got absolutely no chance of winning without without a sort of set piece game, and um, I sort of am mildly surprised because um, uh, Adam Jones really really rated John Humphreys as a, as a scrum coach in particular. Um, Adam used to say whenever he had problems at the Ospreys or indeed with Wales with his scrummaging, uh, he would go to. Jonathan Humphreys and Jonathan would come up with the answers and uh, a lot of people want him to come up with a few answers at, at this moment in time really you 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 dealt with Jonathan extensively at the Ospreys the mark didn't you and um, you know him well I know him well from his playing days I mean he's a very serious minded coach who places a lot of store in the set piece it's difficult to know the answer but what's your conclusion Ben as well is this a personnel problem in terms of the set piece or is it a coaching problem? I, I, I don't really know. What, what um, do you think? It's a with the line out. Because obviously, you know, Ryan Elias is probably public enemy number one with a lot of Welsh fans at the minute. But then Elliot D comes on today and I think he lost two of the line outs. So it's, people want to make Ryan Elias the scapegoat, but that's simply not the case. I don't think, I don't think Elliot D is that much better and I think that points to the fact that the, the line out is, is more complex than it just being the thrower um, it, it's hard to pinpoint exactly where where the issue is for Wales at the line out obviously Justin Tipperick wasn't playing today but we, we've seen they've moved him out of the line out he's usually been safe ball but they wanted to become a playmaker in midfield I think Humphreys is, is trying to be quite ambitious with what he does in the line out um, I think that's how they want to provide the platform for Wales to play is, is to be ambitious to begin with then that gives you good footing to make plays and, and to have playmakers in midfield on first phase ball. But the problem is it's just not really working. So the, the, the flip side is then is, is you, you try to tighten things up, which we, we occasionally see. And, and then you just, you, you just sort of starting the attack on the back foot. It, it, it's a, it's a real issue. As, as for the scrum, you know, uh, Pivak was asked actually, wasn't he after, after the match, you know, you, you think back, was it France back in the Six Nations and also the start of this tournament, uh, the autumn campaign rather, you know, we, we've had problems in the scrum before. Is this a recurring theme? He insisted it wasn't, which is interesting. Says it's different circumstances, different referee, but yeah, it, it, it's a tough one. You, you see a lot of people on Twitter sort of saying, you know, if Byron Hayward lost his job, 
Jonathan Humphreys is could be the next in line. Well, Mark will know this as well. Roman Poit is a referee who has a reputation for rewarding what he sees to be the the attacking side of the scrum. You know, he is somebody who will make firm decisions there. And once it gets into his mind that you are the team under the cosh, the penalties are going to keep on coming. I've seen it in a number of games where he's refereed. He takes a firm grip on that. And Wales came second best, whether it's through their own issues of the scrum or their inability to convince the referee they're presenting the best pictures, they have to find a way of providing themselves with a platform. Yeah, I take what you're saying, Ben, you know, about um, <clears throat> Jonathan's position. But what I would say to that is is that, I mean, Wales had four or five poor performances, really. But um, I, th- I think you've got to give people at least until the end of the season um, uh, rather than sort of sacking people after two or three bad games. I think you've got to. Wales is... Uh, World Cup seeding is is assured, and I think you've 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 got to allow the coaches the opportunity to say, well, we were given time, a, a decent amount of time to have a go, and uh, if it's not working out at the end of the Six Nations, then I think the Welsh Rugby Union is sort of entitled to uh, review matters and say, well, you know, uh, perhaps uh, maybe a change in direction is required, but. It hasn't been pleasing at all. Certainly hasn't been easy on the eye. There was definitely more spirit shown today, but you'd ex- you, you'd expect spirit when when Wales play England. Uh, that is an absolute minimum requirement. It, it, it's like it's like going for your driving test, turning up, and sort of passing the eyesight test. Effort and spirit in a Wales England match. Is non-negotiable. You turn up and you deliver. You put the effort in. Um, so Wales were much better in that respect, and, and there were uh, there were uh, some decent individual displays, but the whole lot was undermined by the set piece weaknesses, which we've already touched on. Well, to give the uh, the listeners a bit of time and place perspective, I've got one eye on France, Italy, and Italy have just got a try through called Carlo Canna. And they've um, they're stressing, albeit a much changed French team, and they're leading five three with the conversion to come. Now, you say I take what Mark says on board about you've got to give the season, and albeit I think Italy have shown up well in this tournament, I do think if Wales lose at home to Italy, if they end up playing them next week, then I think it is potentially the situation that the coaching positions could become untenable. I mean, the outcry would be enormous. And I do think there's quite a lot of pressure on for that that game next week. And so I'd expect Wayne Pivak to go with what he sees as his, his, his strongest team. The only thing is I I find in my own mind a little bit hard to work out exactly what that is at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you you, you see others then suggesting that um, uh, Wales should look to the future when they play Italy. And to be honest, I, I think they're in a position where they, they need to win and they need to get some confidence to take even a dot of momentum uh, it won't be much momentum, but to take even a dot of momentum into the Six Nations. Um, yeah, you look, you take my point, though, Mark. It's not clear. Usually, after an autumn campaign or a long campaign, you know what your best side is. I, I don't really know what that is in the minute. No, no, uh, that's that's fair enough. And he's been hit by injuries, doesn't he? Um, clearly, they've got issues in the front row and indeed in the front five generally. Um, there's there's probably debates to be had at, at halfback as well. Um, 
But yeah, that, that's that's fair enough. Uh, performances have generally been so ordinary, if you like, that um, people haven't nailed down positions. Um, you can see in certain instances at 12, and um, I thought Lewis Rees-Amit was very good today, or, or good today, um, and that, that was encouraging. Uh, Johnny Williams as well. So, you know, you, you could see uh, s- s- tiny green shoots. But, uh, yeah, clearly a defeat by Italy would be disappointed. But I would still suggest that uh, Pivak and his coaches should be given until the end of the season. You make a very valid point there about the people who've come through. It is quite telling to me that if you look at the ones, there haven't been many clear individual pluses. But you look at three of them, Johnny Williams... Um, Lewis Rees-Samet, I think Shane Lewis, who's over the scheme of things, all people, you know, who hadn't played for Wales before before this autumn. Uh, so that, that tells you something. I don't know quite what it tells you, but it, it tells you there are springs of hope and also questions, why aren't we seeing some of the more established players really delivering? Is it a case that in terms of the injuries, the established players who are still fit are probably the ones you'd want to see phased out, perhaps... Well, the ones who are out injured, your, 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 your Navidis, your Moriartis, are, are the ones who are probably more suited to this Pivac style of play. If you think back to the Six Nations, Wales improved as the Six Nations... Okay, take the Italy game aside. From those three defeats, they probably improved through each defeat. From the, the defeat in Ireland, where they weren't really in it, France, they should have probably won it, if you look at the chances they had, and then England. And it was through sort of Navidi and Moriarty coming back into the team, into that back row, which I still think is the is the place of the biggest misbalance at the minute. I thought all three of the back row played well tonight, but it's probably still not what it needs to be in a pivot team. I thought Falto had his best game for Wales in a long time. Jim Botham just tackled everything and Shane Lewis Hughes is, is, is physical as we expect. But in terms of jackal threats and, and other things, I still think we're not there yet. No, I think it's a fair point. Although I would say that the balance in the back row and having everyone available there because there's key players missing at the moment I think it's secondary to the set piece problems yeah I mean that's, that's Wills uh, and the player that Wills are missing as much as anyone if not more is, is Ken Owens um, not just for his work at the line out his leadership and just what he brings on the field when he sort of leads the, the he leads the charge going forward. He's, he, he's, he's excellent in defence and uh, he's pretty good in the lineouts as well. And I do agree with you in that respect, Simon, that uh, uh, the set piece sort of frailties are completely undermining the whole effort. Um, and they simply got to sort them out. Uh, Michael Owen was saying the other day that, you know, when Gatland came in um, or, or, or you know, he, I think it was Gatlin or Ruddock, I'm not sure which one he was saying. But basically, they sorted out the scrum, they sorted out the line-out, they sorted out the defence, they sorted out the exit strategy, they sorted out the game-line collisions. And from there, they were able to build a winning sort of game plan and bolt on extras. And uh, I think Jonathan, possibly Jonathan Humphreys, what you were saying, Ben, he has been a little bit ambitious uh, for instance, with the scrum, you know, they 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 pick Reese Carey initially, and he's going to be a really good player uh, when he matures. But 
at the moment, he, he's still very young, and uh, put him miles on the clock. And uh, you know what, Reese brings is he, he's a dynamic ball carrier. He's strong, probably at this stage of his career, he's more suited to the impact role. Um, but Jonathan obviously wanted Wales to play with runners instead of walkers, so to speak. And uh, I think in that respect, you know, that that experiment kind of needs to be revisited. I think that I think they've come come to that conclusion with a selection of uh, Wynne Jones and Sam Lee, but they were just outgunned today by a bigger, heavier pack. And um, yeah, it was. Um, the net result was that uh, Will struggled. You you can't sort of win a game where you're uh, where you're shipping penalties uh, in the set piece and you got no sort of front football in those areas. I think that's a that's a really good point where you sort of say about when Gatling came in, he, he just sort of put simple things in place because if you think back to the Gareth Jenkins final days, that World Cup 2007, it, it was a shambles, wasn't it? So Gatling came in put simple things in place, but then every time that Gatland tried to expand the game plan, you know, 2010, 2017, 2018, Six Nations, Wales just just couldn't do it. They weren't at it. You know, I think there was one performance against Scotland, which looked like the sort of the the new dawn of, the, of an attacking Wales team, which ironically was exactly when Pivak was doing his thing at the Scarlets. Then the next week they went to Twickenham and just looked toothless. Uh, when Eddie Jones sort of targeted Reese Patchell and 10 Jersey. What's, Pivak and, and his whole coaching ticket have largely tried to do is build on what Gatlin had left, which I'm not going to sit here and say it's easier to turn around a, a hopeless team with simple structures than it is to to build on existing foundations of a good team. But it's it's a it's a very different task. Now you look at the defense, obviously Byron Hayward's lost his job because of this, but it went from being a very simple structure under Sean Edwards where players were basically given a remit by a quite scary man and they knew that if they didn't do that their international career is is over with Hayward he wanted to have players making more decisions in defence it was it wasn't so much a policy as it was them reading things admirable in in theory it just didn't work same with what Humphreys is doing in terms of taking your safest line out option and making him a playmaker in midfield if it works and you, you develop things and that's, a, that's another string to the bow if it doesn't then things start to look very average very quickly even even with the attack which I, I every you know everyone sort of says that we haven't really seen it it's, it's this thing that if if the Wales attack works and that's a massive if where we are at the minute in theory they should be flooding the defense with so many different pictures so many different options off runners it's ultimately going to be very hard to defend the problem is we just they just can't do it because there's no platform there's no no breakdown efficiency no speed of ball uh, a lot of the players just don't look like they're buying into pod systems. It's a bit like, I think Graham Henry first sort of tried to bring in pod systems in the 90s and the players really didn't buy into that. We're sort of seeing it a bit now within terms of options. So that's where we're at. Um, and then it's not helped by the fact, as Mark says, people like Ken Owens are out. You know, I think we thought this autumn was going to be, we'd find out who is the deputy. And as far as as far as far I'm concerned, I don't think we're any closer. I, ne- I wasn't convinced that Elliot D was a, a credible test starter before the autumn, if I'm being honest. Ryan Elias isn't one at the minute, and Sam Parry, we haven't really seen, have we? No. Um, the trouble is, you, you, you hit on a valid point that, that there's more, there's as many questions as answers at the moment. And after sort of the longest autumn campaign we've known, that's a bit of a concern. 
I think the other thing that people, in terms of questions and answers, what, what readers or listeners will be interested to hear our thoughts on, I mean, going back to today's game, I think were the contentious issues because there obviously were some key officiating uh, matters to be discussed. I don't know what Mark makes of them, but uh, in a way it was almost inevitable that Brian McNeese was going to play a kind of uh, quite an eventful role in the game. You know, he's, after all the criticism we received last week over the yellow card for, for Kieran Treadwell, which was provoked a huge criticism, his part in seeing that downgraded and effectively his decision was overturned with a sighting and a ban for Treadwell. And as it as it turns out, he's he's the ref, he's the TMO for this match, and you know, Sod's Law is immediately involved, isn't he, with um, the Wales try. Uh, bringing um, Roman Poitz's attention to a potential knock-on uh, by Dan Bigger. I think most people agree it was. It, it stands as a charge done by Dan Bigger. It was. It was the try was right to stand, uh, and Roman Poitz made the right call there. But of course, then you have five minutes later, you have the England try, where I think it just about everyone's agreed. Poitz made a blender. Um, Dan Biggers up in the air, taking a high ball. He's tackled before his feet land the ground by Sam Underhill. McNeese calls it to the attention of, of Roman Partner, very unusually for a referee in those situations. He trusts his own instinct and his own judgment and doesn't look at a review. Often we say, oh, it's good to see a ref like do his own instincts. But when is a clear call from a TMO there? Unless he'd lost faith in Mr. McNeese's uh, call. Had Nige, our very own Nigel Owens, written a piece this week or, or an opinion piece, or maybe it was our column saying, you know, referees should be relying less on the TMO. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, if you, the thing is, if you do that, uh, Ben, you've got to get it right, didn't you? Well, that's what the technology is there for, surely, isn't it? It's, yeah, and he should have right checked decision. it. It would have been no try. I'm not saying it would have been a different result. But there were a couple of other ones as well. There was one comical win where he said one offside or two offside. Then it was one offside or one infringement. You got a bit messed up a little bit there. But the other big one was the tackle by um, Elliot Daly, I think it was. Or was, it, was it Henry Slade? I think it was El- Elliot, Elliot Daly. Daly. Elliot Daly or Josh Adams just near the touchline. Close one there. It was quite. A, it was a very sort of physical hit, and it did seem to me as maybe it was shoulder first towards the neck area. The kind of things you've certainly seen reviewed and cards given for. Mr. McNeese said, uh, you know, an attempted to tackle play on. Some people will say that's fine. You know, hard game. That's what happens. But yeah, he was he was centrally involved, and of course we've also had the other incident that's been raised. Um, suggestions of a possible um, headbutt by Ellis Genge. You'd need to see lots more f- t- detail and focus or angles in there. Suggestion you might have had a push in the back from Luke Cohen Dickey, which p- propelled him forward into Thomas Francis. But the bottom line is there's lots of incidents and lots of controversy. I don't know what Mark's made of the, the various decisions and incidents there. Well, I, I just sort of take a view that every game, every game contains incidents both ways. And uh, if you if you went through the footage of that match, you could you could probably that you could probably prove that case. But absolutely, that uh, Dan Bigger was taken out in the air, and uh, Underhill should have been penalised. England probably wouldn't have uh, had that try. Um, the Gen stuff is isn't completely conclusive, I think. But um, the bottom line, I think England were the better side on the day, and. Um, yeah, even if that try had been disallowed, I still think they would have uh, won with a little bit to spare. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to quibble upon it. Bet side one. Yeah, for sure. Indeed, I suppose you know the scrum is the other sort of 
place where Roman Poit was perhaps a little bit, we've mentioned it before, but, you know, just for me, I don't think it would have made a difference to the result, as we say, but, you know, you, my concern was, you know, earlier in the week, Wayne Pivak said he picked the best scrummage in front row. And I was worried then that that would be used as a sort of stick to beat him with when Samson Lee's conceding penalty after penalty, when in reality, Roman Poit makes his mind up after the first scrum. I was just worried that this was going to be used as a, a, another stick to beat Wayne Pivak with and, and probably not a particularly valid one. Yeah, people say there's not a lot between Samson Lee uh, and Thomas Francis anyway as, as scrummaging props. Um, if we go back to the uh, the hooker position, um, I, I mean, he's thrown in for the Ospreys has, has, has been frankly awful. But uh, so, you know, it, it seems a bit odd to put put his name forward as, as a player of the future. But I, I think I said it last week, the kid Dewey Lake is a fantastic prospect around the field with what he offers. He's strong. He's a game-changing player. But you can't let him near international rugby, sadly, until he improves his throwing. But when he gets that right, if he gets it right... Um, my guess is he, he'll be the Wales hooker after Ken Owens. Um, As you say he's that, just Mark, a really good player. You say that, Mark. You've got people playing for Wales at the moment who have their issues with the line-out, don't you? Know, would, yeah, would, no, it, I, would it be any potentially worse under Dewey? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> look, I mean, I'm, I'm being a bit harsh because he's young and he's a converted back rower. But, you know, the Ospreys have been losing sort of five line-outs a game in some matches. Now... These problems, I, I, I think you can, I think you can, uh, I think you can fix any problem if you practice hard enough at it, and uh, you, you, you just keep practicing. Uh, like I say, not until you get it right, but until you can't get it wrong. And if he gets the the best possible coaching and he's diligent and dedicated enough to improving that aspect of his game that he can take strides forward. Uh, he's a young player, converted back rower. Maybe he hasn't developed the muscle memory in his teens, perhaps with his throwing in. But uh, yeah, he is he is a really, really good player. And um, there are other good players out there, young players who've impressed me. Uh, that lad who plays for the Scarlets, uh, I would expect him to be knocking on the door of uh, of the Wales team of squad for the Six Nations, Jack Morgan again, twenty five, thirty tackles, turnovers. Ollie Griffiths as well is another one. Dowie Lake. So there are reinforcements out there are added to the experience they got coming back in. So they are in a really, really a bit of a hole at the moment. But um, just hopefully, um, hopefully they they will progress somewhat come the six nations. I think they, they, they pick up a little bit. The interesting thing there for me then moving forward is Ben and, and Mark is, is what does he now do with this final game? As I say, it's 10-5 to France at half time. So I'm guessing it's going to be Italy next week. You know, does he just pick his strongest side? Does he look to give more new faces a go, given that the likes of Rhys Samet, Shane Lewis, Hughes and Johnny Williams have done well? Should he Is that evidence that he needs to go with newer fresh faces? Or does he just go for a, a team just to win the game? What do, you, what do you think, Mark? Well, I mean, traditionally, the, the players who perform best throughout the... We were talking before the podcast, and traditionally, the under Gatlin anyway, the players who performed 
best throughout the campaign were rewarded with places in the final matches. It's slightly different this time. Um, it'll be Italy. It's, it's hardly building to a crescendo. It's not the All Blacks or anything. Nonetheless, they need to win. So I think that um, I think they should play their their, their best side. Um, I'll qualify that by saying you know certain positions. You know, there, there are certain positions where it's a borderline call, perhaps, and he might want to see what others could do to add to Wills's game. But I, my general thinking is he should probably go for the best, the strongest side. I'd, I'd largely agree with that. I think it depends on who will be back. I think it won't be it won't be too far different from tonight. It just depends who's back. Um, Jonathan Davis could be back in contention. Is Nick Tompkinson enough to to sort of start ahead of him as Jonathan Davis had enough really to show his, his fitness since his, his sort of return from that, that horrific injury um, back row will be interesting to see whether a Tiprick or, or an Avidi can come back in. Cause obviously if they are fit, they'll, they'll be crucial halfbacks. You'd expect them to be largely the same. I, I think Lloyd and, and Dan would probably be given the nod there. Yeah. Johnny Williams is nailed on now. Uh, back three, I think, is probably going to be there or thereabouts. Liam could come back in, but I think Lewis Rees Samet has looked looked the part tonight in in a performance that was probably very un Lewis Rees Samet from what a lot of people have seen. And then in in the pack, maybe Thomas Francis comes in for Samson Lee. Jake Paul has got to be the the nailed on number four in the Wales team now. And yeah, the back row could change slightly depending on. Who else is there? But I think that's it's, it's largely going to be quite similar to tonight. The um, the interesting one for me, we didn't mention this then, that Josh Adams that hasn't happened for him this autumn, has it? You know, and it just hasn't really come his way. But I think, you know, you, you just have to sub back the fact that, you know, he's shown his class before. And if he doesn't get the opportunity, he'll take them. I think Liam probably would come back in a fit, given he was going to start in this game. Although Halfpenny did a lot of, you know, brave work in defence and over the ball on occasions. Uh, Jonathan, I think if Jonathan Davis is fit, you, if he's considered fit, you'd think he'd come in, wouldn't you? Because there are still issues about um, Nick Tompkins, whether defensively he, he can take on that key role. Um, halfback's interesting. I could see Reese Webb possibly starting. It was difficult for Lloyd. He was no platform whatsoever. You know, Reese was the starter at the start. Of the, you know, you really don't know with scrum half. Um, I don't know. Hooker, does he bring give Sam Parry a first start? He hasn't had a chance yet. Very, very difficult. I think if Navidi and Tipperick are both deemed fit, I think you'd play them, wouldn't you? I think they would start. They would come in along. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about it. The, the problem for Pivak is continuity in selection is important uh, to every coach and especially to national coaches. But perhaps if you if you start with the wrong players and you keep bringing people in, it does nothing for continuity or cohesion, and you end up back in the early nineties and uh, just struggling to go forward, not knowing who your best side, uh, who your best players are, and results being indifferent, and you lurch from one sort of loss to another. So it is difficult, and I would agree. The likes of Jake Ball, maybe Wynn Jones as well, even though you know he did sort of concede a few penalties today. Maybe these guys should should stay in there. Um, maybe bigger as well. Uh, although you know, Wills's attack hasn't truly fired. Um, and I'd, I'd be tempted to sort of uh, agree with Simon and say that Reese 
where perhaps should uh, should have have a go at nine. I know he didn't start today, but um, I'd be tempted to start with him. Interesting one on George North, terrific for the Ospreys last week, albeit against. Benetton. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to sort of put that forward as evidence as to why he should play for Wales. He might come up with a benchmark, mightn't he? Yeah, he, he was terrific for the Ospreys last week and it uh, it was it was similar to his effort for Wales against England in March. I thought he was one of Wales' best players that day. He was into everything. He was defending, he was running, he was, he was attacking and uh, good over the ball and... Um, but again, I, I suppose it depends as well on how people are performing in training. Gatler used to set great store on on whether or not people turned up for training and and delivered. And uh, some places were won and lost on, on the back of training performances. So yeah, you really would hope that uh, there is a measure of continuity, but at the same time, reputation shouldn't uh, shouldn't sort of uh, dictate that anyone wins his place. I'm just not convinced that North is Pivak sort of player in terms of, I don't think his ball handling and distribution skills are really there to be a back three player. And the Pivak, and, and obviously you mentioned, Simon, that the Josh Adams has been off the boil. I think the difference you see with Josh Adams and North when they're, when they're not having their best games for Wales, I think jo- I think Josh Adams still finds a way to get involved, whereas George North tends to... To, to go missing. I know Matt always mentions the sort of the, the golden 15 touches that Warren Gatlin mentions, but ultimately you can't build game plans around wingers. It's, it's up to the wingers to get involved themselves at times. And I think Josh Adams, even when things aren't bouncing for him and it's not working for him, he still finds a way to get involved that maybe George North doesn't. Yeah, I mean, the probability is that the Wings next week will be uh, the the two played today. And Reece Samet was... He was particularly good in defence. He was he was called upon to show a side of his game that perhaps not all of us were familiar with, and um, and he did really well. I thought um, I think he was turned over once, but generally he had a couple of nice runs down the wing, and uh, he quite looked the part. He looks composed when he's on the ball, and uh, he is lightning quick, and um, he's he's going to be in the world setup for a long, long time. I think. Yeah, agreed. Well, there we go then. I think that is it for tonight's podcast. We're just about out of time. Uh, Massive thanks to Simon and Mark for joining me this late on a Saturday night. Um, It's going to be an interesting week now, the final week of the Autumn Nations Cup campaign. It's looking like it's going to be Italy next week. Could be an interesting one for Wayne Pivak and his Wales team. And of course, you can catch all the action and the latest news on Wales Online. 